Welcome back to this week's episode of Doctors Who Create. This is part of our Spotlight series in collaboration with the Master Scholars Program in Humanistic Medicine at the NYU School of Medicine. My name is Darlena Liu and I'll be your host. And we'll be talking about dance and medicine, which is a topic really near and dear to my heart. More specifically, I was curious about the ways in which learning more about movement impacts our understanding of medicine and vice versa. And it turns out I wasn't the only one with that question. In this episode, I interviewed medical students, residents, and attendings to find out more. The first two people I spoke with were working on a movement and medicine workshop geared toward clinicians and med students. First, we had I'm Elizabeth Barchi. I am a sports medicine attending with uh, NYU. Throughout most of my life, um, and actually all through med school, I danced um, and through college and a little bit sort of half counting it in med school, danced professionally um, with a regional dance company outside of Philly. Um, and I always describe it as my life's greatest passion. Um, and it's sort of the thread that's been carrying me through my medical career. Um, and guiding the decisions of the specialties and where I go from there. Um, I continued to dance a little bit in residency, but the hours became prohibitive, um, as most would imagine. Um, And now I work, um, do a lot of work with dancers and outreach, um, trying to help them live essentially their best life and dance their best career. In our conversation, we were joined by Nina Shavzov-Zebrin. I am a first-year medical student here at NYU. So similarly to Dr. Barchi, I grew up dancing as well. Um, I trained pre-professionally for a career in ballet, um, attending all sorts of programs here in the city at Juilliard, American Ballet Theater, things like that. Yeah, we both did Juilliard, so that's that's our (laughs) earliest connection. (laughs) Um, And I started to kind of branch off from that. Um, In college, I still danced um, at Harvard. I was in the Harvard Ballet Company, directed that. That was awesome. It was so important to me there. Um, But for a variety of reasons, um, yeah, honestly, it was physical limitations. I just didn't have the right body type, the right, you know, extension, flexibility um, for the job. And I knew that would limit me um, very unfortunately at a certain point in my career. So I had to take kind of another route in another area that really interested me as well, which was medicine. And fortunately, there's a way to combine those two, as Dr. Barchi has shown. Um, And so I came to NYU really hoping to find a niche um, kind of at the dance medicine intersection, um, especially with the medical humanities, because I know that they're so developed in so many other areas. And, you know, Rita Sharon up at Columbia is sort of a little bit of my idol with literature and medicine and how she really sprouted that field from the ground up. And so my dream is to kind of be able to do that um, in a academic but also kind of medical education sense with dance. I'm a Rudin Fellow this year um, at NYU, which is just one of the Medical Humanities Fellowships um, that helps you develop a project from you know, start to finish. And so with this um, project, I'm hoping to develop a full semester course um, for the Medical Humanities program here. And with this workshop, we were just piloting some of the material, seeing how people would react, what went well, what didn't. Um, so we could, you know, make a really powerful course going forward. I was able to catch them right after their pilot workshop. So we talked a little bit about how that pilot went. And I also spoke with some students who were in the class. Going back to your question about what went well and what didn't, I think um, observing and taking part in this workshop, one of the things that 
became really apparent to me was, you know, just the difference between people. Some people are so willing to kind of go for it and try new poses, you know, try the try to choreograph on someone else, um, things they never usually do with their bodies. Um, and then some people were more hesitant, and you could see kind of their own body language showing through. Um, and you know, I was reading them and saying, okay, they're kind of moving to the back of the room, and um, and so designing a course like this has to kind of take account the to take into account the entire spectrum of people's kind of comfortableness levels, comfort levels, um, and really doing exercises to kind of prime you at the beginning, I think, of the course because. As a dancer, you come into this so willing to try anything, really, and um, take a lot of risks um, artistically. And how do you kind of get everyone on that same page quickly? And that's a, that's a challenge, right? Because the whole success of the course depends on that, on everyone's willingness to really just go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and creating that environment's critical. I was actually really surprised at how willing the students were to really kind of let go and try something new. Um, I remember back in my day, um, <laughs> a lot of people, there was a lot of insecurity. So it's, it's always nice when you get into a, a space where people are, are willing to really go there and, and to try. Um, and so I think that went really well. We had some amazing insights come out of this, actually, because we did an activity called Dance Categories. Hold up. What is Dance Categories? Dance Categories. Um, basically, uh, people are paired up and one of the team members had an emotion that they were given on a card um, so something like anger and they had to sculpt the other person's body um, or choreograph that emotion onto that person's body um, you know put their hand on their hip or tilt their head up or whatnot um, and you know ask them to furrow their brows or however they wanted to show that emotion and then the choreographed person um, had to then guess what they were embodying and you know one great one was uh embarrassment people were struggling to uh, to get embarrassment because they kept coming up with anger and it was very exciting because you know we could talk about the fact that from embarrassment comes defensiveness which and from defensiveness comes anger and so they're very similar along the same path and they connect into each other and play back um, so it, it was some of these insights were just really fascinating and in terms of the other exercises um, I think today was absolutely this workshop was really informative because we got to see what really worked on people and what kind of sparked conversation and what was a little bit harder to get reaction from mm -hmm. um, and so I think even like having more game style things yeah. and activities um, I have you know I have a lot of thoughts on what I could do in terms of or what we could develop in terms of uh, activities and exercises but now with kind of a more fun twist because that really sparks the energy and that's great. The workshop seemed to be a big hit amongst the students who were able to attend. You don't have to take my word for it. You can hear direct from the source. Meety Kim, I'm a second year medical student. And so it was interesting because some people's body movements to an emotion are similar, some are different. And then we also explore the converse side words. When we see a certain body movement, are we able to guess what emotion? Something that was very interesting was the um, kind of intersection between embarrassment and anger. Along with that, um, our instructor also kind of talked about how for a lot of patients you start off with an inner embarrassment which then manifests in anger and so then you take another step as a provider to say to think like oh this patient is reacting out of 
embarrassment. Some attendees were really familiar with the exercises presented in this workshop. My name is Min Sa. I'm a third year student at NYU School of Medicine. So briefly, like my background in dance uh, started when I was young. I was doing a lot of it as a hobby and then by high school I was competing a lot, um, but mostly by myself. And then in college I um, started doing a lot more group work and uh, majored in dance, so um, a lot of that was very similar to actually what we did today, so that's how it all kind of connects and relates. Um, what we did today essentially is kind of what I did for the four years during college. But back to my original question, what is the interplay between medicine and movement? For Dr. Barchi, part of the answer is in the discipline. So I'm classically ballet trained with a little bit of contemporary, hence the Juilliard background. There we go. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you think about for over 20 years, every day for at least four hours a day, I did the exact same steps over and over and over again. That's madness. Mm -hmm. And I did that for over 20 years. And so what you learn is the discipline and the love of the process. It's not about the outcome. It's not about the performance. It's about the everyday grind and learning to love that. And that's something that's helped me survive throughout medicine because it's, it's truly an everyday grind. We do the same, especially once you get into your attending hood. You know, you do the same things every single day. But being able to, you know, love that process so that you can pick up on something interesting and new. But, oh, it's a new step we're going to learn today. Oh, it's a new diagnosis I hadn't heard of since, you know, med school or ever, um, <laughs> which is sometimes the case. Um, but it's that, it's that discipline. It's the love of the process. Um, and it's also being able to understand how to express yourself without words. And that's something that we are working so hard to teach other people in this course is how, how to read other people's expressions of themselves without words. And dance has also influenced her practice of medicine, especially in her work with fellow dancers. From the moment I can start speaking their language, I have watched them visibly relax in front of me. Because um, even, not all of my patients, even the ones who come to dance clinic fully understand that it's a clinic for dancers run by dancers. Um, but when I see dancers out in the community at my own private practice, um, you know, I can, they don't necessarily, they haven't necessarily done the research to know that I have a big dance background. And so when I start speaking their language and moving the way they move, I watch them relax because they know that I understand and I understand what their body means to them and that, you know, I'm not going to just tell them to take six weeks off. Some of the pathologies that I see very commonly in dancers, I've actually started seeing a lot in my everyday athletes. Um, and some of the concepts that we're teaching here in movement and medicine, I'm not a runner. I hate running, but I understand what it means to love dancing and for that to be a huge part of your everyday life and what it would mean if I could no longer dance for several months at a time what that would mean to me and so I can project that onto a runner and realize okay you know it's not good enough that I can put them in a pool and let them swim like maybe it's good enough for some of them like they'll they'll be satisfied for a couple of months but they really just want to get back to running because they love running and I have 
no idea why, because I'm not a runner, but I can appreciate that because I, I know what it's like to have a physical passion and what it's like to be pulled out of that for an extended period of time. And so you can use those same principles of you can watch, I watch the same body language, you know, when I tell them, yeah, it's a stress fracture and we're gonna need to ground you. Um, it's the same, same conversation, it's the same body language that you would see from a dancer, from a runner, from a competitive whatever, someone who's really passionate about their sport, they all react very similarly. Um, across the spectrum. Um, and so, it, you know, the principles that we are teaching here in this course can be applied. I apply them to my everyday practice because there are definitely patients that I don't, I don't have their same experiences, I don't understand. And so being able to use common denominators of my body is really helpful. For Nina, medicine has made her choreography even more creative example I like to give um, is in creative writing courses which I took in college as well um, you often impose limitations on yourself um, like you know you can only use five word sentences or something like that um, and that helps generate creativity and so in choreography you can do a similar thing where you impose limitations saying okay you cannot use the right half of your body but I need you to get across the floor somehow and so there's actually a, a place for that in medical education as well because you can start to um, creatively explore physical limitations that might have a medical counterpoint in a safe environment that's respectful and that's artistic. So you're not doing it in a way that is, you know, pretending to have an illness that, you know, you don't. You're doing it in a very creative light. Um, and so that's a very unique way to maybe approach another aspect of movement in medicine as well. For the last part of my exploration into this topic, I sat down with Marley Stern, a recent graduate of the NYU School of Medicine, a longtime dancer, a Rudin Fellow, who's about to start her residency in July. So dance has been a part of my life since I was six years old. Uh, that's when I started taking classes. And I took, you know, a couple classes a week, and then I got to be 10 years old and got really serious about it. And I was dancing, I think, in my teen years up to like 20 hours a week um, on dance teams as well as just regular class. So it's kind of been my other half to my academic life, I guess, since I was very young. And I went to college and I ended up double majoring. So dance was one of my majors. The other was this philosophy, neuroscience, psychology, kind of, it's like a mind-brain studies major. And I knew at that point, at the end, I wanted to apply to med school. And so while I applied to medical school, I actually went back to Southern California where I'm from and I trained with a dance company. It's called Backhouse Dance. It was a contemporary company based in Orange County, California. And that was just an incredible year because I knew that I was going to be starting medical school the next year and I really, you know, got to experience dance on the professional side of it. I wasn't a full company member, I was a trainee, but I did end up getting to perform and I carried those experiences with me for sure as I started medical school. I think when I started medical school, my relationship with dance changed a lot. And it's probably something that everybody experiences with any of their hobbies coming into, you know, a serious graduate yes. degree like <laughs> medical school. Um, and I just really had to work to fit it into my life in a new way and kind of redefine what dance is for me. What are some ways that you found were really helpful in integrating dance into your life during medical school? So I really had to redefine what it meant to go take class. You know, I had expectations in the past from like, 
what what it would look like, what it would feel like when I went to dance, and it just isn't the same anymore. I'm not dancing as many hours. The muscle memory isn't there in the same way. Not to say that I've forgotten everything, it's just it feels different and I know it looks different, and you have to come to terms with that. I think the first thing is you're, you just have to know that your technique is gonna fall a bit, and just say, okay, that's gonna happen, and that way it gives you permission to still enjoy it. Now I can go and enjoy class, and it just, you know, it feels good, and um, I'm not as hard, hard on myself in that way, but it gives me room to grow still. Mm-hmm. Were you able to find a community of dancers at medical school? Yeah, so there's uh, the Spin Doctors group, which is the dance interest group at NYU. Contrary to what you might think, Spin Doctors is actually not the name of the Spin Club, but rather the Dance Club. This student-run group plans dance workshops, outings to dance performances, and an annual culture and talent show to showcase student talent. And it sounds like you found other dancers through your Rudin Fellowship Project. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, so the Rudin project that I did is like one of my favorite things I've ever done. (laughs) It was, um, I guess I decided to kind of look into how art and medicine interact. I had met all these people that, you know, were writers or singers or dancers and also in medicine and just like these incredibly brilliant people who somehow combined their interests and figured out how to keep both of them going. You know, the Rudin Fellowship application came out and I was like hmm this seems like something I should I should apply for and I decided to write an application for it and I was like I don't want to do you know a written work I felt like it just wouldn't capture all the visual art forms I was trying to um, portray and I I thought I'd make a documentary and then it got accepted and I was like okay I guess I have to make a documentary now have you ever made a documentary before (laughs) no I have never done anything like this and I was thinking man I really got myself in some deep water here but I ended up finding a collaborator, um, his name's Kevin Brown, and he had just graduated and gotten his master's in film. So he, having him on board, he, you know, he had all the equipment as well as the know-how. Um, so he helped kind of create the whole vision. And through that, I started reaching out to people. So I reached out to the, um, the medical student, whole population here at NYU, and then I reached out to as many resident groups as I could and just said, hey, I wanna do this project. If you're interested, let me know. So I met, I met with, I think, 14 or 15 people in person that had responded to my emails just to chat about the project, and I had to narrow it down to three. Joffer Almondiri, who's internal medicine, and he um, he's a writer, and then I met with Garcin Wong, who is a dancer, and I met with Ginny, who is a visual artist. All three of them, I think, brought something very different to the project, and I guess challenged what I think about the intersectionality of arts and medicine. I learned that we all struggled with uh, the technical difficulties of keeping up an art form while, while you're busy, and that in the, in the process of having to not care about their technique, they ended up uh, bolstering the artistry of what they do, and just wow. focusing on what it is that, what is the, what is the essence of the art form. Through this documentary, what were you hoping to accomplish by creating this piece and sharing it with others? Part of it was personal. I was just personally curious about how these people viewed their art interacting with medicine and then, you know, how they how they use their medical practice to change their art as well. It's something that is so important. We talk about it all the time, about how, like, 
art can be used in medicine to help with uh, clinical encounters or just even our own personal processing of things as a physician. But I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's deep. It's not something that we can easily put into words all the time. And I think that the relationship is worth exploring because I really do think that there is, there's merit, there's value to what we can, what we can learn. I think about all the things that I've gotten from art. For, for me, it's dance. Um, but everything I've gotten from dance and how that's kind of contributed to uh, the doctor that I'm about to become. The first are these you know, traits and values that I've either developed because I'm a dancer or I already had and they were enhanced because I'm a dancer. And those are things like you know, taking a correction and applying it and making sure you don't make the same mistake again. And then also you know, creating long-term goals like I have to rehearse for hours and hours and hours for one performance and making sure you find the value in the rehearsal process as well, but also knowing that, you know, you put in a lot of work that people won't see, you know, until the end. And just those kinds of things I think people can get also from sports and there's other outside interests too. Um, and that's one category. And then there's this other category, which I think is a little bit more specific to artists. And that just stems from the idea that art People love art because it makes you feel something. It's maybe something that you've felt before, so it's a shared experience, or you know, maybe you see something that makes you feel like you've had an experience that you haven't, which is also really interesting. Um, I, I think that in that way, artists are just more attuned to how other people are, are feeling and experiencing the world. Um, and I do think that that's something very valuable in medicine. I think that dance does have a, a unique role in art and medicine overlap because dance is, of course, art of the body and using the body and moving the body. It has completely changed how I think of uh, medicine and anatomy. I think there could be a very interesting you know, dance class that focuses on anatomy. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just made it so easy to learn like the muscles and their attachments and um, even like the nerves, because I just, I felt like I had a good understanding internally of what, what my body could do, and mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have to study that so much. It's so an intuitive yeah. sort of knowledge base, yeah. in a sense. So I could see something like that being used kind of in the preclinical setting. I think it is, um, I think it is fun to try to create movement based on what you're learning, and it will solidify it in a different way. Something that I did like only once or twice preclinical years was to like take some sort of concept I learned in lecture, whether it was like the motion of the heart or how like ions moved during transmission of uh, nervous the nervous system signals and I, you know just kind of create movement that was inspired by that. That's something I didn't really explore, but I bet would be a lot of fun actually, and maybe it would be a way for you to integrate dancing you know, into this busy med school study life. Do you feel like your own personal style of dance has evolved over time? I do. I, I think that I used to be very, um, very exact with movement, and I've gotten, I've gotten more into movement that's a little bit less focused on shape and form and more focused on feeling and momentum. I think it's maybe something that's more about the experience in the moment than, like, trying to create something for a performance later on, I guess. I 
see. And do you source those feelings and experiences from part of your clinical work and, and patients that you meet? Where does the inspiration come from? Yeah, I think it's different all the time, honestly. Sometimes it's just because I feel like I need to move or I hear music that sounds great. Um, I do occasionally think about my patients when I'm dancing and I even once during clerkship year I actually choreographed this piece about a patient who had rheumatoid arthritis and you know it's just a different way to relate to her experience um, you know her disease is about movement inhibition right and the inability uh, to do what you need to do every day and I filmed myself doing it from different angles I you know, choreographed something that was probably around three minutes, and I just, I filmed it several different times from different angles to kind of get um, different viewpoints. I edited it to put it together into this little film. This was all before the Rudin project, mm -hmm. but I think maybe that's one of the things that, I guess, like spurred the idea. Mm -hmm. Like a mini documentary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do you think uh, you're going to bring dance into your life as a resident in the yeah. future? You know, I think it's gonna be a struggle. <laughs> So I know that I have a one year, you know, medicine year and intern year before I start my dermatology training and I think the medicine year in particular is going to be rough. That said, I'm not going to be studying in the evenings in the same way that I was on clerkships, so I'd like to think that I can go take class. I think that those of us in New York are very lucky. We have a lot of access. I'm really hoping that just being here and having the access here and knowing that it's so important to me, even if I can fit in like one or two classes a month that'll be enough to keep it going. I think that doing this project was so much fun, the Rooted Project, I just, I don't know, I can't help but think about you know other possibilities. So I'm gonna try this next year really to think about what are some other things I'd like to do for another project looking at this intersectionality. I started this episode excited to learn about the relationship between movement and medicine and I left these conversations feeling so inspired to incorporate more dance into my life. I also felt that Marley made some great points at the end that just talk about the importance of all different types of art and medicine, which is a really nice way to end this spotlight series in collaboration with the Master Scholars Program in Humanistic Medicine at the NYU School of Medicine. If you've been listening from the beginning, a huge thank you. If you haven't, I highly recommend you go back and check out those other episodes. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.